Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen's Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast for those wanting to connect with the people and practices of far-flung ranches and dairies in California through hearing stories from and learning more about the families in cattle country. As promised, our second episode with Cheryl LaFranchi of Oak Ridge Angus in Calistoga, but this time in Red Bluff at the Red Bluff Bull and Gelding Sale, where Cheryl was selling four bulls. The majority of ranches we visit are cow-calf operations, meaning that the operation maintains a herd of adult female cows year over year who produce one calf annually. Once grown, these calves are typically sent to a feeder, which, well, you know, feeds them until they reach weight to be processed. An important part of this equation is the bull who sires the aforementioned calves. When I started with the Cattlemen's Association, our monthly publication would have page after page of ads for different bulls that were for sale. All the ads have an identical format, dominated by a profile picture of the animal accompanied by a series of metrics that to a layman like me made no discernible sense. Years ago, prospective buyers would walk an animal to visibly gauge its fitness. It wasn't the best system. Animals could have all sorts of maladies unseen by the human eye. These days, there's a strict testing and reporting in regard to tracking the animal's weight, its projected offspring's milk production, and even its scrotal circumference. And there's a lot more. This is not to say that seeing any animal in person is obsolete. In fact, it's critical. Hence, that's why there's still bull sales. In our previous episode, we spoke with Shale LaFranchi about a ranch in Calistoga, among other things. In this episode, we meet up with her at the Red Bluff Bull and Gelding Sale, where she's selling four of her Angus bulls. These animals exhibit trainability and docility, important qualities in ranching operations. A bull's hardiness seems to be as important as its genetics to potential buyers. A bull sale isn't unlike a dog show, at least to my eyes. I mean, the animals are a lot bigger. As you'll hear Cheryl mention, the Red Bluff Bull Sale is much more than about commerce. It's also about community. It's one of the few times that people who work in the same industry, yet live scattered in rural areas around the state, have the ability to see one another in person. Red Bluff is hosted at the Tehama County Fairgrounds over five days each year. This year it ran January 24th to the 28th. It's the sale's 82nd anniversary. Along with bulls and geldings, and geldings are castrated male horses, and that's done to attempt to eliminate any kind of aggression in them. Stock dogs are also trialed and sold. The horses and dogs are worked in a large arena to show their capabilities for potential buyers. Both also work with a group of rather honorary cattle, moving them from one place to another. The sale is open to the public, and for those not interested in purchasing an animal, there are plentiful food and product vendors. The entrance fee for Saturday was just $10, and after a hand stamp, I was in. Just past the entrance, there's a line of covered stalls containing groups of bulls of various colors, some eating, some slumbering, and others being prepped to be sold. This typically involves brushing, cleaning, blow-drying, yes, blow-drying, the bulls, and then an application of various beauty products specifically designed for the process. Just past the bull stalls is a sales pavilion where you can usually hear the auctioneer and buyers going back and forth thanks to loudspeakers outside. Inside the pavilion known as the Don Smith Pavilion, there's a small corral for animals to be guided through. A fresh sawdust floor with folding chairs, flanked by well-worn wooden benches on three sides. It estimates the pavilion seats about 500 people, with standing room for more. Throughout the week after their various trials, the animals are walked through the stall and sold to the highest bidder. There is an auctioneer seated with a few other people high up behind the corral, running the auctions. Sales usually take a minute or two. If one were to walk back to where the animals were queued for sale, you'd see about a dozen bulls spaced by six feet, shampooed and conditioned, patiently waiting for their turn. 
what strikes me about the sale in general is it's consistent calm. Aside from the auctioneer and bidders, everyone, including the animals, are quietly calm. Moos and whinnies are few and far between. By the way, if you want to see anything I'm talking about, there are photos of all of this available at calcattlecouncil.org. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. My name is Cheryl LaFranchi. I live in Knights Valley, which is right outside of Calistoga, between Calistoga and Healdsburg in Sonoma County. I manage and own a 1,200-acre family registered Angus cattle ranch. We have basically 350 cows and cow-calf pairs. We have an annual bull sale and then we sell it one one bull sale that's open to the public and that would be the Red Bluff bull sale that's coming up in January. Uh, how so you said yearly you do a bull sale here at the ranch? Yes, we do a private treaty bull sale generally in August and then we hold the bulls for for most people probably a month or a month and a half until they're ready to turn them out in October to November. And what's the scope of the difference between the one you do here? Because I know you're taking four bulls to Red Bluff. Um, yeah. the, is it about the, the same here? Or? The bulls that we sell in our, our private treaty bull sale, we catalog about, oh, between 40 and 50 bulls. They are generally somewhere between 12 to 15 months of age. And they're kind of later, later spring bulls, summer bulls. And then the bulls that go to Red Bluff are younger bulls. They're October, November bulls. And uh, they're just a little bit young for the for a fall breeding program. And then they're perfect for Red Bluff where they go out somewhere between January and May. I mean, you guys having a bull sale here, what's the, what's the reasoning behind continuing going to, to, to Red Bluff? I think Red Bluff is one of the really great gatherings that a broad variety of livestock people go to. Ton of cow calf people, a ton of ranchers, and I think you just see friends that you see once a year, and that's at the Red Bluff Bull Sale. And you see people from all over the Western United States, people that you grew up with. You know, you run into your friends and their kids, and then their kids have had kids, and it's kind of a an ongoing community activity. I would say it it might be about the longest running public bull sale. In California would be my guess, maybe on the whole Western United States. I mean, it's just, it's a great time. It's a great area. The people that manage at the bull sale committee at Red Bluff, they just go out of their way to really make it an enjoyable experience. You do dinners, breakfasts, you know, you just, you get to meet with all your friends and visit with them. And it's really, it's really a great time. And then at the end of it, you sell your bulls and go home. Can you just walk me through a tiny bit? Because it's kind of like almost like people might be more familiar with like, you know, a dog show or movies about dog shows. What kind of preparation do you do when you're selling a bull the day of the bull sale? Yeah, I think the main preparation that you do if you're going to a bull sale and even the bulls that we sell here on the ranch, of course, is the amount of effort and the time that you put into them even before the bull sale. You know, you don't just randomly decide you're going to sell some bulls. You know, you have to you have to kind of have a little bit of a program. You have to take the time to feed them, kind of take care of them, watch out for them. So I, I think by the time you get to Red Bluff, you've already spent a considerable amount of time and effort on the bulls. And when, when you go to Red Bluff, it's 
Yeah, I think it's they go out of their way to try to encourage a good bull sale in that they, you know, they have a nice place to have it. They have a wonderful trade show now. They've incorporated a dog sale with it. Um, that's something relatively new, and I'm and by that I mean probably probably the last. 15 years or something like that. They have a horse sale with it. So it really caters to the environment of the cattle person. It's a great agricultural on kind of a smaller scale, but just really, really a nice place to go and just see some different things and new things. And I think when you get there with your bulls, you know, you've worked on them quite a bit. And then you can decide on the bulls, whether they go into the halter show or the commercial show. The halter show is generally their halter broke, of course, but uh, bulls that, you know, you lead them around and bulls, I guess you would probably in that, you know, a lot of people, uh, if they had both commercial or loose bulls and halter bulls would probably try to get the better bulls into the halter show, I guess, you know, just because they're on the, on the lead, you're halter breaking them and everything. But it's turned into quite a big show too, for a commercial bull sale where, you know, they're not halter broke. So you can do both if they have room for you. So it just kind of depends, you know, what you like to do. When I think about bulls in general, I think I probably just think of rodeo mm-hmm. and then bulls that are being ridden in, in you know, ornery, you know, it's kind of the right. thing. Um, and meeting the bulls that you're bringing to Red Bluff, they're exactly the opposite of that. What, how, how important is disposition for people that are using those bulls for, for breeding? I consider disposition, that's the number one thing we sort off, sort on. And you just do that when they're baby calves. If you have, you know, a bull or a heifer or something that is just average in the disposition, you know, you go out there, they take off, they run around, you know, they act kind of like a like a jughead, then it's just as easy. You just weed them out of your program. If it's a bull, you know, it's very easy in the beef deal, you know, because they just go into the food chain rather than into the commercial cow herd or the registered cow herd. So it's super easy when you're set up in a beef cattle operation. And yeah, I think disposition, it would it would probably be one of the top two or three things that you sort cattle on, at least around here. When people go to the shows, like I mentioned earlier to you, the, in our magazine, there's often ads for bull sales. And so there's pictures of, of these bulls. And like I said, from a layman perspective, they all look the same, exactly the same. At the shows themselves, when people are watching the animals move around, what are the things that they're looking for? Like what's what's a good trait versus something that's concerning? I think it's just like, actually, when you look at a person, you know, you just, you want something that you find attractive, you know, whether it's kind of a straight back, straight legs, you know, a nice clean front end on them, you know, long body. So, so there's different traits like that and you put it all together and, you know, you like them with some beef on them because they're beef cattle. If you're looking on the female side, you know, you want a really nice udder. You kind of have what you like selection wise. And then now, nowadays over about, oh, probably the last 20 years, or it's been more than that, but it's really come to prominence. The Angus Association has the certified Angus beef program, and now several of the other breeds are starting to do that too. But I would say probably the certified Angus beef program in the beef cattle business was just probably one of the really great things that ever happened. It just, uh, 
change the whole way that you look at a carcass of an animal, the whole way you look at what you buy, the characteristics they have, the internal marbling. With the certified Angus beef, you've been able to get a lot of internal genetics that you didn't have access to before because you just didn't have the data. And now that you have the data from the Angus Association, you can really correlate between the animal that walks out that you really like, that's really handsome. He's big and strong and, you know, it's got a nice top on him and a lot of depth and he moves like a bull, you know, and you really like him. And you can put that too with an internal measurement of his marbling score, his ribeye score, how much fat he has. So you can meld the two together. And I think that's really probably been about the best thing for the uh, entire beef cattle industry has been when you've gone on and you've been able to add the phenotype and the genotype together and come out with a pretty good animal right now across the whole commercial cow herd in America. I went to Mark Lacey's place okay. off of 395 yes. and we had uh, burritos for lunch and Tom Talbot was there as well, who's a veterinarian. And they were talking about how, and I don't, this is as much as I know about this. So I'm going to ask you, and it could just be a question that sinks. Mark was kind of saying with the advents of new kinds of technology, and I think he was saying something about, I mean, basically they're giving the cows like, like MRIs or, or some sort of testing that he said, the amount of resolution we have on these animals, it used to be look at an animal go looks healthy, you know, and, and you wouldn't really kind of know. Now there seems to be better technology, which allows you to, to make better choices. Can you explain to me what that is? Yeah, 100%. And the Angus, the Angus Association has kind of led the charge on this. And like I said, a lot of it through the Certified Angus Beef Program, but they've gathered so much data and they have the DNA testing that you can do now that actually tests the different alleles and stuff for the tenderness, um, marbling, you know, so you can get that off a DNA data test. And then you can turn around and you can actually do an in the shoot measurement of these different characteristics like marbling, ribeye, and that with the ultrasound. And you can meld the two of them together. And so where they've had records coming in on both sides of this, the DNA test and then the actual ultrasound data, where they can meld those records together, it's trying to get I guess just trying to get more data so that when it's all said and done, whether you use one or the other, you know, you still have fairly firm data and you have a database that's been long enough and has had enough animals put in it that you can really with some certainty say this one is very high in its marbling score and it's going to score better. It would be an even easier one that's very visual that's super easy to see is and uh, one that, uh, of course, my husband, being a veterinarian, is very much in favor of is when you measure testicle size on bulls. So if you sell bulls, you measure their testicle size. Well, it turns out that if you don't put some emphasis on that, where testicle size is important to you, it turns out, you know, that it's very easy to all of a sudden you have a bull at a year old and he's has a 32 centimeter testicle. You've put some effort into it. You've measured them. Different people have measured their cattle. It's in this national database of the Angus Association. So when you look at, let's just say some random AI sire that you're not going to physically look at, but you look at him and he's in an ABS catalog and you maybe want to want to get semen on him. Well, he's going to have data printed that has actual measurements in it, has his calves 
brought into it, has his genetics brought into it, plus his actual data. So all of this combined. So if you look at a bull and you're like, geez, I really like that bull. I want to breed to him. You go across and his scrotal is minus 0.6. That's compared to an average of something. Yeah. And then you look at a bull right next to him that you really like too, and his scrotal is a 1.2. Well, the 1.2 is quite a bit better, and the minus 0.6 would be very, very small. And it turns out that the scrotal size and circumference has a direct correlation with getting your heifers in calf, you know, how early they mature, the cow rebreeding. I mean, it has a direct correlation, plus the fact when you turn the bull out with 25 or 30 head, how fast he gets them in calf, if he gets them in calf, you know. So something like that is extremely important. And what we've seen, like with the certified Angus beef, is you've been able to take that, and it's may, it might not be a measurement that you can visually see, like testicle size, but it's a measure, an internal measurement that you can measure on the ultrasound data, and it's accurate, and it correlates, you know, to when you hang your hot carcass weight, you hang them and you break them apart like in the, in the Packers and stuff. So it's it's really good. The Angus Association has a ton of data and they've done a great job of getting it out to the getting it out to the cattlemen. I've done interviews with people that talk about basically not year over year but changing the breeds that they're raising. Like uh, there seems to be fads that go with different kinds. Definitely. I what I notice is the fad not, not that it's a fad, but now that Angus is very much very much in vogue as far as you know people have been running them for for a couple of years. It seems that you guys have been had Angus yeah. cows for a very long time. I mean, were you ahead of the curve a little bit? What'd a little bit. We were. My dad always laughs because, of course, we're in the middle of wine country. And we always laugh because he says, you know, if we hadn't started with the Angus, we'd be in the great business, you know, because you, we, you would have just never made it. When I started going to the Red Bluff Bull Sale with my dad, and this was, you know, back in the 80s, I guess it would have been. So, you know, 40 years ago, there would be in the bull sale 12 or 14 Angus bulls, and then there would be 200 Hereford bulls. And of course, you've seen an exact change in that. Been a, been a big change. The cow herd across America used to be the majority red and white. And it's if you looked at the cow herd across America, it would be mostly black and a few black, white faces. And then, you know, there there's your different breeds. Like there's a place for everything, you know, and there's your different breeds like your Charlets and different breeds like that. But a lot of them have gone towards black cattle. A lot of people. Definitely marketing is a part of it too, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's, it's hard to sell a Hereford's like, Angus Harvard. steak yeah, sells a lot. Because right. it's, just, it's just name recognition. People don't know anything. Right. You know, other than I know that this is a place, there's a place called Blank Angus and they sell yeah. steak. Right. So it all makes sense. What sort of, we talked about this a little bit, but as far as what people are getting in the store and buying their beef, what are the pluses of Angus meat opposed to other breeds? I think with the Angus, you you just, and I'm, I don't know that it was, anything that you even knew about back when Angus started, but for whatever reason, Angus, it's a very good marbling breed. It's uh, a very, very hardy cow, you know, to turn out. And it's a cow that relatively good uttered and sound. Even before you had any data or anything, when you had the, when you had the Angus cow and you just turned her, turned her out, she was a pretty hardy, tough cow with a 
good udder and those kind of cattle stay around a little more than when you get you know your cattle that aren't quite so hardy and tough and not quite so good uttered and but not quite as good on their feet and legs and then we just ended up lucky and I and I tell everybody with the Angus Association it was like having IBM or Merck running something you know you just at the start of everything they were on top of it. It was important to them. The Angus Association has probably been about the driving force on the genetic improve on just a ton of improvements that the cattle business has made. When I was young, maybe the biggest criticism or one of them on Angus cattle was how, I don't know if you want to call it temperamental, but they, you know, they could be a little bit on the ornery side. And we've seen a definite, just a real effort made to get the genetics of the Angus cattle gentler, you know, calmer, whatever you want to call it, more docile. That Saturday, 260 bulls, including all four shares, sold, totaling just under $1.3 million on the day, with an average bull price of just under $5,000. I watched one sell, oh, and I, I missed two one. somehow. <laughs> yeah. It went back to back, bang, bang. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> they were fast. We're down to our last one. All right. So as soon as they start how's, how's the last one different? He's in a different division. He's in the Cabernese division. What's that and mean? Kind uh, uh, you guarantee him for a heifer bull. So when I sell him, then I'm guaranteeing that if you bring him to your heifers, it's going to work out, and they're going to have small calves, and... Oh. You know, so it's a, it's a pedigree cow herd. Hopefully you've done it long enough. You know what, what your, how your cattle are going to breed. And stuff. Which one is it? The little guy with the green ear tag. Okay. So that's why he's got a green ear tag. All right. Which, uh, you were, when we talked earlier, you kind of said that part of the reason that you come to this is because of, like, just community. Right? Yes. Um, yep. How's it been? Like, how was your your day great? Your vi or you've been here a couple days, probably. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Been a great visit. The weather has been beyond spectacular. Yep, it's really been great. So the whole the this is one of the nicest places you could come. They put dinners on for you. They do breakfast. They do they'll do a lunch. I mean, so they really the Red Bluff Bull Sale Committee. They really cater to. The people that come, the exhibitors, the cattle, you know, they really try to put on a, you know, the trade show is great. Everything is really nice up here. And so you, you'll go home with like an empty trailer, ideally, right? Yes, That'll have it. Okay. ideally, yes, and then, correct. I mean, there's a lot of people that come here with empty trailers. And, then and they buy. Yeah. Yep, yep. So that's, that's, yeah. Yep, so it's... Cut and dry. It is, yep. It's terrific, so it'll be nice to... Nice to get it over with, but it's been awful nice. If you're interested in following our travels, you can follow us on Instagram at CalCattleCountry, where you can see Cheryl and her bulls from the cell. We love feedback. If you have ideas where you'd like to hear from stories of California cattle country, you can contact me directly at ryan at calcattle.org. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.